epistles of Paul. He was writing this letter as he was chained to a Roman soldier on his left and a Roman soldier on his right. And uh, how wonderful it is that sometimes God had to just pin down Paul so he could write some letters. And uh, we have these letters now preserved for us. Um, who knows if Paul would ever write a letter if he just had full freedom to go minister and go anywhere he would like. Um, Philippians is a uh, not only a prison epistle, it is a thank you note from the Apostle Paul to what is probably his favorite church. I'm not sure if you are allowed to have a favorite church if you were an apostle. You're certainly supposed to have a favorite church when you're a pastor, and it better be your own church. Um, but this was probably his favorite church, and it was his most faithful supporter. I want to read to you together just uh, 11 verses here, starting in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We see here a wonderful picture of giving and receiving. And there are really lessons for both the giver and the receiver. And uh, as I mentioned, the Philippian church was a faithful supporting church of the Apostle Paul. And we, you know, the, the very opportunity of this letter is a gift that was sent from this church in Philippi to Paul. But this is not the first gift. He mentions uh, in verse 15 that when he first left Philippi, they also sent twice to him while he was ministering Thessalonica. And really, we could even bring it back to the very first convert of the Philippian church a lady by the name of Lydia. She was a seller of purple, as it says in the scripture, that was a special uh, coloring that they would dye their textiles with, and it was a very expensive material. It's made from small little snail-type animals that they would catch in the Mediterranean Sea. And um, we read that as Paul comes into town, you can read this in, in Acts chapter 16, uh, that uh, there was no synagogue. Paul's normal procedure would be to find a synagogue in town. It would require 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue, but obviously there were not 
there was not a large Jewish popula- population. Uh, yet there was this prayer meeting at the river. And as Paul joins several women down there, he proclaims Christ and this lady Lydia, Lord, the Lord opens her heart, it says in Acts chapter 16, and how we are grateful for the opening of hearts that God does, because if he did not open the hearts of people to receive the gospel, we would not uh, have any kind of fruit to show for our labors. But God opens this lady's heart and she comes to Christ and says immediately, she urges Paul to come into her house and she is providing mission care for the Apostle Paul. And uh, obviously we know the, the, the well-known story that Paul gets arrested after um, uh, you know, dr- driving out this, this demon uh, in this young girl that is uh, working as a fortune teller. And uh, he's arrested, put into prison. Uh, his feet are in the stocks. And there he is with his buddy Silas, you know, singing majesty hymns from memory. You know, while Silas is playing the kazoo, I can just kind of see it uh, in my mind's eye. And there's this earthquake that happens at midnight. Uh, the, the, the prison uh, cells and the whole uh, the doors break open and this this prison ward is about to commit suicide. And on the day that he was going to end his life and end in hell, that day becomes the day of his salvation and comes to Christ. By the way, we have a man in our church who um, went through tremendous hardship. And um, he also was going to end his life. He had placed the pills that he was going to overdose with on the kitchen table, and he was uh, going to to make an end of it that night. He was uh, a refugee from uh, from Iran. You saw him several times in the in the pictures above, just uh, during the presentation. And um, to this day, he does not know where this came from, but. On the day he was going to end his life, he went to his mailbox and there was a package in the mail. And he opened it up and it was a New Testament in Persian, his mother language. And he had just had a surgery. He was recovering. He was actually going undergoing uh, cancer treatments. He had lost his wife. He had lost his job. He had lost his health. Um, and he was recuperating from a serious accident. And with one eye all patched up, he, he plopped down that New Testament on the floor. He lay down uh, beside it and he started reading and um, got gloriously saved. Just starting in Matthew chapter one, in three days, he read through the whole New Testament and God just totally transformed his life. Uh, he's reached literally tens of thousands of Iranian uh, fellow um, countrymen uh, for the Lord with the gospel um, he's the one that translates my sermons into Persian, and they just go the whole, over the whole world. This is not a ministry that I had counted on, but it's something that the Lord just lay in, you know, just threw into our laps. Um, and it goes into closed countries, closed areas for the gospel. Um, I, I preached a sermon uh, just a couple of years ago. I, I don't, I don't know all the the numbers of how many people this is reaching, but I preached the sermon. A couple of years ago on Romans 8.28, where God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And two weeks later, he came to me and said, 
Do you want to know how many times this this study, this study on Romans 8.28 has been read online? He said 14,000 times in two weeks. So we have no idea just the kind of um, ministry God wants to use in very simple things and how he wants to show the glory of his name. This is something so beyond myself. Uh, I have nothing to do with it. I just get to sit on the front row and watch God work. It is a wonderful, wonderful uh, development. Anyway, this prison warden back to Philippi on the day that he was going to commit suicide. That's what made me think of this, this story. Uh, the day that he commit, wanted to commit suicide becomes the day of his salvation. And what does he do? He puts a meal in front of uh, Paul and uh, washes his wounds and takes care of him. This is a mission care church. And as Paul travels to Thessalonica, the next stop on his missionary journey, he's only there for like four Sabbath days. He's only there for a month. And Philippians 4 tells us within that month, they're sending two people with some money to support the Apostle Paul in the next town. Um, and uh, this is not just, you know, this was not wired to him. Uh, someone had to travel the distance with all the risks involved of traveling with money and bring that gift to the Apostle Paul. Well, later on, uh, as Paul continues to move further away from Philippi, the distance doesn't seem to make any difference because uh, as Paul goes to Corinth and he ministers there, uh, we read that the Philippians are continuing to send mission support. And I want to I show you that. If you'll keep your finger here in Philippians 4, uh, because we're coming back here, and go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 9. Paul explains to the Corinthian church, when I was present with you and wanted, I had need, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia. Now that is the region in which the Philippians, uh, the, the, the city of Philippi is located. The brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. So he's, he's saying when I was in Corinth, these churches, Philippi being the prime example there, were continuing to support me in such a um, gracious manner that I did not have to ask anything in Corinth for support. Um, obviously, we are, we've already seen the, the, the gifts that, they, that, that were mentioned in Thessalonica. Now the gift in Corinth. And the Philippian letter is also an occasion for a gift. So uh, the gifts are adding up. And they're not just supporting Paul. They're also supporting various projects that require funds. You're in 2 Corinthians 11. Go back a couple pages to chapter 8. And Paul is here promoting a, um, a special fundraiser for the saints in Jerusalem, for the believers in Jerusalem. There was a famine there. Uh, they had fallen on hard times. There was need. And if you know anything about the first century world, you know that there was a natural rift between Jews and non-Jews. Jews and, as the Bible calls them, Gentiles. And as people were coming to Christ, 
they are learning a new way of living where the divisions of the old life are erased and people are one in Christ. You know, we have ways in which we divide society today, don't we? Old ways of thinking according to ethnicity or race or uh, social status or economic income. And in the first century, that was Jew and Gentile. That was the primary rift division in which humans measure each other and put them into boxes. And Paul is saying, when we come to Christ, we are one new man. We are united. And all those old ways of looking at each other, they disappear. They, they melt like snow before the sun. And we see each other through the eyes of Christ himself. And so as there was need in the Jewish believing sector of the, of the, of the, of the larger body of Christ, Paul is hoping that the Gentiles are going to show their love and their unity with their brothers to send to take up collection and send this gift to Jerusalem. And Paul again holds up the Philippian church as an example. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit. We want you to know of the grace of God because when you are truly giving sacrificially, it is a work of grace. I can let me tell you, in this world where we are tend to see hoarders and people who are building their own personal empires, people who are tearing down their barns to build bigger barns and put in any word you want for the word barn, whether it be suburban you know, house, a big car in the driveway, you know, whatever it is materially, we are tearing them down and we, we want bigger and better and we are investing, we are invested in material things and, 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 and Paul is saying, I want you to know about the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, this was not on their best day. You know, we tend to be the best version of ourselves on the best days of our lives. But this was in a great trial of affliction. When we are in, on hard time, in hard times, we tend to focus on our own problems. We tend to hold things tightly. We need to make sure that buffer stays in place. And yet these people in, 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 a, in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, they were not sour givers. <laughs> they were joyful, uh, giving people. And in their deep poverty, you don't have to have much to be a giver. Jesus saw an old widow a woman who had no husband to support her with no social, really, you know, government structures of, of supporting people who have no means. Give her last two pennies. And he noticed it and he had it recorded in his word to honor this lady for eternity. This is the Philippian church. That whole mixture, a trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, their deep poverty, add that together with the grace of God and it results in abounding under the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints 
And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. There was a wonderful giving of themselves. And out of that, giving of their material possessions. So this is a, a, a picture, a profile of this mission-carrying church. Now go back to Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that you are this kind of a giving church. But Paul is not rejoicing because his needs are being met. And this is actually where the second part of the sermon comes in. Because as a response to this wonderful grace giving that the church of Philippi is, is doing, Paul is receiving it in a very mature, a very spiritually mature manner. And he, is, he has some wonderful lessons for us uh, in, in the way we view material things. He says, I am not speaking out of want in verse 11. In verse 17, he says, not because I desire a gift. Paul is not out to get rich like so many um, preachers nowadays on, on, you know, on, on television and people in the, in the prosperity movement. Paul was not seeking to get rich. He wasn't rejoicing because his needs were met. Why? Well, he had learned a secret. It says... Verse 11, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I mean, even in North Carolina, the state of North Carolina, you could be content. And whatever state you're in, whatever your circumstances are, right? Uh, he knows, he knew how to be abased. Verse 12, he knew how to be, how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I am instructed. That's a wonderful an interesting word there. It's like initiated into a secret way of life. It's like God has secrets for people who are really interested and he is so ready to take you aside and to whisper in your ear the secret sauce of, Christ, of the Christian life and that is to be content in whatever circumstances you are. To, to, to be just as happy when you have nothing as when you have everything. So for Paul, he was not rejoicing based on his circumstances because he'd already learned the secret of being happy and rejoicing without his needs being met. So why was Paul rejoicing? Well, Look again at verse 17. It is not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now, Paul is teaching us some wonderful lessons here. He is saying that we have a spiritual account. I need to ask Luke, would you look in my gray bag and find my wallet? Because I think I left it in my gray bag, and I'm going to need it for an illustration in just a minute. 
He's saying we all have a spiritual account. Now, he, this was nothing new. Uh, the Lord Jesus had already taught that we are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moths don't eat up, where uh, thieves don't come in and steal, where um, uh, there's no inflation. Have you heard about inflation recently? Um, it is eternal. It is secure. Nothing like material possessions here on earth. I remember uh, when Trump was, back, was, was in office uh, back in the day, and he, I don't know if you remember this, but he had this little Twitter back and forth with the North Korean leader, I mean, uh, Kim Jong-un, and, and they, they tweeted back and forth. They were bickering a little bit. And, and the next day I was reading uh, on the news, uh, in my news feed, that the financial markets of the world had lost like so many billions of dollars because two people were having an argument on Twitter. And it was such a, an example, such, such a, you know, an eye-opener of how insecure our material things are. And how you think you got it locked up, you think you got it you know, secure, and, and, and it comes from somewhere that you had not expected, and it'll just eat up your money. I mean, Proverbs talks about how, your, how, how money grows wings and just flies away. And so wonderful financial advice is secure your money by exchanging it into currencies that are lasting and eternal. The very first Sunday that we were here in the States a couple weeks ago, um, we were in our very first church and um, uh, the offering plate came by and I, I grabbed my wallet because I wanted to put something in the plate. And all I could find was this Monopoly money that we use in the Netherlands. It really is quite handy, you know. Every time we get some bread and milk and eggs, I just head over to the game, games closet and I just <laughs> grab a little handful of, of this stuff and, you know, it works quite well. Um, now, this is, this is euros. This is European money. And uh, I thought, well, I don't know if I need to put European money in the plate here because... Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not worth anything. You have to exchange it into dollars before it's useful here in this country. And I'm afraid that so many Christians nowadays, they are investing in material currencies. And it's going to be a rude awakening when they try to put material currencies down on heavenly counters and come to find out, you know, we don't use that stuff up here. And the Philippians were, they were building their accounts. And that is what, what, what is the, the cause for rejoicing in the Apostle Paul. He's, he's saying, I am rejoicing because there is fruit that is abounding to your account. The fruit that Paul had in his missionary labors was attributed, was credited to the account of those that were supporting the work. And it is a wonderful lesson that we learn that you are actually building your accounts through the mission work that is taking place through College Park Baptist Church. It is a wonderful mercy and grace of God to let all of us have opportunities to participate in ministry, even if you are limited in what you are able to do, limited in going out into the fields of the world 
yourselves. And how many wonderful harvest fields are out there. I mean, just take a globe and spin it around and take a look at just the enormous population pockets all over the world. And as you and I, as we all are faithful in supporting that kind of work, we are gathering fruit, fruit for the Lord, but fruit also into our accounts. So Paul was rejoicing, not out of a sense of need, not out of um, a sense of greed, but he was mature enough to see the wonderful grace of God at work in his own converts. It's like seeing your children doing something really mature and you just your heart swells with love and gratitude that your children are maturing in the faith. Now there's there's um, there's two other brief things that I want to point out. One is a, a, a wonderful viewpoint of how God viewed this giving. Verse 18. Paul says, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Epaphroditus being a member of the church that was, was bringing this gift. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, Paul is pulling in the whole imagery of sacrifice from the Old Testament. We understand out of the Old Testament that the Israelites would come to the tabernacle and later to the temple to bring an offering. And there was literally like there was smoke just ascending from that offering. Now, that wasn't even the first instance that there was offering taking place. I mean, we see it all the way back in Genesis chapter four. I mean, the first two people born on earth, Cain and Abel, were bringing sacrifices. And yet one of them out of a heart that was not right with God, the other out of a heart that was justified, that was, that was uh, saved and trusting in God with whatever knowledge he had of God and the promise of a Messiah at that point in time. And on one, God looks with favor, and it is a sweet-smelling savor. A, you know, there, there is this aroma that arises, and it just fills the heart of God with gladness. And the other one is rejected. And we learn, really, by Paul using that verbiage, that imagery, that all of life is worship. Everything we do. You thought you started worship here at 10.30 when the service started. You started worshiping when you got out of bed and you were entertaining thoughts and you had um, you know, ways of interacting with your, 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 uh, your family members and with the phone that has you know, started buzzing probably already this morning around 5 o'clock or so. And you know, all of life becomes an opportunity to worship God. All of life is, is a way of responding in a godly fashion. And making much of God. And Paul is saying, Dear church, I see God's grace evident in your lives through the wonderful giving spirit that you possess and that you are using for the glory of God. And it is not unnoticed by God. Furthermore, it is a sacrifice that is well pleasing and his worship that ascends to the throne room of God and fills 
his nostrils, if we can speak of the nostrils of God, with something sweet. And as we're wondering, well, how about my needs? If I am this wonderful giving person, like God as a giver and gave his only begotten son, who's going to take care of my needs? Verse 19, my God shall supply all your needs, not just your material ones, but especially your spiritual ones, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will take care of your needs as you give yourself to meeting the kingdom needs all around you. So I want to thank you and encourage you today for your faithfulness, even through COVID, a very financially difficult time in the lives of most churches here in in the States. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. And I want to encourage you that you are building up a wonderful treasure that will not be taken away from you. Shall we just bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer?